Today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Give us ears to hear your truth, and eyes to see the needs around us as we draw close to you. May we thirst for the water that your love brings us. Open our hearts, change us from within by the open word. Jesus takes note of this situation. He takes note of the heart of this woman. It draws us to understand that any man, whether it be rich man or poor man or a beggar man, but probably not the thief, but rich man or poor man, any of us, we can serve God to the fullest. And God is blessed by our heart and by our attitude, not by our influence, not by the amount of our finances, not even by the extent of our talents. God looks at our heart and he looks at our attitude. And beloved, that's the thing that I want to drive home to you today. Does it make financial sense to donate all of your money to the church? No, of course not. But that's just what the poor widowed woman we encountered in Luke 21 did. The religious leaders were dramatically throwing in exponential sums, yet her seemingly inconsequential offering caught the attention of God. As Pastor David explains, her offering expressed a heart that was fully trusting in and devoted to God. She gave all she had because she knew God would provide. Now here's Pastor David with today's message entitled, Battles and Devotions. Jesus is coming in and he's going to throw him a curveball. He says, whose son is he? Their response, Matthew tells us their response was, oh, he's the son of David. Well, that seemed right at the time. After all, there's a lot of scripture that speaks about him being the son of David. Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 11, verses one and two, speak very clearly that Messiah is the offspring of David. There shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse and a branch shall grow out of his roots. The spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of the knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. Well, truly, this is a prophetic message of the coming Messiah. There's no doubt about it. But still, it is just an offspring of David at this point in time. We find a similar passage in Jeremiah. Jeremiah 23, verse 5 declares, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will raise to David a branch of righteousness. A king shall reign and prosper and execute judgment and righteousness in the earth. And again, a great prophetic passage of the coming of Messiah, but it still does not explain all that he is. At this point in time, we could see, no, he's just an offspring of the lineage of David. He's going to be a man who becomes the Messiah or the Christ. But you see, here is where the rest of the story comes in. Here is where Jesus really puts them on the spot. Jesus now gives them a twist in this whole idea of Messiah being David's son. When we go back to Luke chapter 20, we read in verse 41, Jesus said to them, how can they say that the Christ is the son of David? David himself said in the book of Psalms, 
The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. And then Jesus asked him, therefore, David calls him Lord. How is it then that he is his son? He turns the tables on these religious leaders. These Pharisees who continually stress the people by their interpretation of the word of God, now they're being stressed themselves. They're unable to come up with the answer to Jesus' question. The important thing about Jesus' question and the statement is, yes, it very clearly puts the Messiah, the Christ, into the realm of deity. And we see that most clearly even when we go back to that passage in Jeremiah and we look at the very next word, the very next verse. In his day, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell safely. Now this is his name by which he shall be called or will be called the Lord our righteousness. The Lord, and the word there is Jehovah our righteousness. In the Hebrew, it is Jehovah Tzidkenu, the Lord, our righteousness. Definitely a declaration, a proclamation of deity upon him. He can't be just a man and have the name Jehovah, our righteousness. He has to be God. And this is what Jesus is pointing out to these Pharisees. The Pharisees didn't know how to handle that declaration. And so they, they remained quiet. At, at least for the time being, they remain quiet. They, 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 they now kind of move into a work in the shadows. They now start secretly plotting how they're going to destroy him. And Jesus turns back then at that point in time to the people and in particularly speaking to his disciples. Still in Luke chapter 20, verse 45 now, he says, then in the hearing of all the people, Jesus said to his disciples, beware of the scribes who desire to go around in long robes. They love greetings in the marketplaces, the best seats in the synagogues, and the best places at feasts, who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. These will receive greater condemnation. Now Jesus comes and now he's on this frontal attack against these religious leaders. Jesus now in the midst of these temple courts, he comes with a direct charge, a direct accusation against the scribes in the hearing, as it says, of all the people. And when it says all the people, I believe that includes the scribes and the Pharisees because they were trying to lean in on every word that Jesus spoke in order to find a way to bring accusation against him. So when Jesus says, beware of the scribes, I think that they were probably walking by, even at that point in time, some of those scribes. Walking by in their long flowing robes, all their re religious regalia, again, just showing how religious they truly were. They had these long robes, they had head coverings of various colors and, and, and in assorted ways, showing how religious they were. They would even have what's called phylacteries, and these phylacteries were things, boxes that they would put on the foreheads or and or wrap on the arms, and inside those boxes were scripture passages. Now, originally, they, they did that in order to keep the word of God close to them in order to, again, as, as, a, as, a, as a declaration, again, of their stand and their hope on the word. But it became more and more a symbol of their religion, more than their devotion. As a matter of fact, the ones that were really religious had great big boxes on their foreheads. 
so you could see from a distance how religious that guy is. <laughs> Represented a devotion to religion more than a true devotion to God. These grotesquely large. These men walk through the courtyards of the temple. They make these, as Jesus says, they, they make these great and swelling greetings to one another. They, they would be the ones who would seek out and they would expect to get the best seats in the synagogues. They would come to these feasts or these dinner parties and they, they knew, no, my, my place is right up front. Why? Because I'm the really religious guy here and everybody needs to understand my place and my position. At every opportunity, they would cry out with these long and extended prayers with the feeling that the longer and the, the louder the prayer, the closer they were to God. Perhaps you've heard people even today praying that way. You think, well, they must think that God is deaf as loud as they pray. Okay, that's a whole nother message, but uh, <laughs> I can't help but think that this kind of stuff sickened the Lord. All of this pretense in the name of the Lord, and here the Lord Jesus was in their midst. He said these very men, they, they seem to be so righteous, they seem to be so holy, but these are the ones that are gonna receive the greater condemnation. A part of that condemnation was due to the way that they treated widows. It's the idea that Perhaps many of these men, they, they owned houses that these widows lived in. Maybe they, again, ripped them off in the rent, or maybe a widow who, who had her own house in need of financial assistance. These guys would come and buy their house from them for less than what it's worth, turn around, flip the house, uh, maybe rent it out, and all of this devouring the widow's houses. They'll receive a greater condemnation. Both Mark and Luke, in their telling of this event, they follow up Jesus' warning about the condemnation of the scribes with the events that surround the gift of a rich man into the treasury and the gift of a poor widow. I believe that these, though it breaks into a different chapter, I believe both of these things are significant. I believe that they both happened at the same time. Jesus is still seated in the temple area. Perhaps he was in the area known as the court of the women where most of the traffic was because in the court of the women, both men and women could go through there, but that was the limitation for the women. They couldn't go any further, but a lot of people traveled through that area at that point in time. Surrounding that whole complex in that area would be found these trumpet-shaped collection boxes. There were 13 of them that were given that, that, that had different designations for different offerings that they would give at that time. They would be large at the top and then they would narrow down as they emptied into a box. It's the idea of how easy it is to come up to that and you could take your coins and it'd make a lot of noise as it banged against the brass edges of the opening of that and as it traveled on down into the collection box. I believe that Jesus, as he sat there teaching the people, this perfect object lesson, connecting what he had just taught, catches his attention. Because we read these words here in chapter 21, verse one. And he, Jesus, looked up and he saw the rich putting their gifts into the treasury. And he saw also a certain poor woman putting in two mites. So he said, truly, I say to you that this poor woman has put in more than all, for all these out of their abundance have put in offerings for God. 
but she, out of her poverty, put in all the livelihood that she had. As Jesus surveys the situation, he, he understands the hearts of all of them that are involved, the rich and the poor. More than simply knowing the, the rich man's heart, he knew and he understood, and I believe it was a very clear, a very loud declaration of the heart of this woman as she came and gave, this widow woman as she came and gave her gift. History tells us that often these rich individuals, they would come into the temple courts and they would have this entourage of, of, of friends and servants with them and they would make quite the scene as they came into the temple. Again, with their great and beautiful robes, this large entourage of people following along with them and often even as they came up to present their offerings into the treasury boxes, someone of their friends or their servants would have a shofar, the horn. Ah, look at me as I present my gift to the Lord, drawing great attention to themselves, very visible to the masses. They'd come in uh, giving their gifts. Now this poor woman though, she didn't have an entourage with her. She didn't have any trumpet blasts. And yet I believe that the Lord takes clear notice of this one gift of these two small coins rather than all the others in their riches. I believe that, yeah, there were trumpet blasts when this woman gave, but not earthly trumpets. I believe it was heavenly trumpets. Just again, look, look at this woman's heart. Look at this woman's devotion. The mite was one of the smallest coins that they had during that time. So extremely small. As a matter of fact, uh, we were able to get one when we were in Israel. It's very, very tiny. This is the smallest coin that they had during that time, and yet it was all that she had to give. And as a matter of fact, we read here, all that she had, she gave. And yet Jesus declares that this poor widow has put in more than all. He didn't say more than any one of them. Did you catch that? He said, more than all. So in other words, the culmination of all the gifts that were given there, this woman with her two little mites gave more than all of that, all of them together. Warren Wiersbe tells us in regards to this, when it comes to our giving, God sees more than the portion. He also sees the proportion. Man sees what's given, but God sees what's left. And by that, he measures the gift and the conditions of the hearts. Wearsby quotes also um, Winston Churchill through this, and he says that Churchill says, we make a living by what we get, and we make a life by what we give. The heart of an individual, whether it's one who is, again, holding on to everything, or whether he realizes that everything that he has is the Lord's, and he is simply a steward of the gifts and of the blessings of God. All these others had given out of their abundance while she gave out of her poverty. This poor woman knew what it was to give sacrificially. In Mark's gospel record, he tells us plainly, they all put in out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty put in all that she had, her whole livelihood. Her whole livelihood. Think about that for a moment. That's like you and I going this week, cashing in all of our 401ks, all of our CDs, our, our checking account, our, our, our savings account, 
and bringing it and giving it to the Lord on Wednesday evening. That's why we're gonna have an offering Wednesday evening in case the Lord moves upon you. Okay, we won't do that really. But think about it for a moment. This woman gave everything that she had. What was that saying? That was saying that her absolute and total dependence was not on what she had, but on who she knew. Because of her devotion, because of her relationship with God, she knew that she could trust God for her daily bread. She didn't need to worry about tomorrow's bread. She trusted him for today. She gave all that she had. So what is it that determines the value of our gifts and our service to the Lord? Since Jesus takes note of this situation, he takes note of the heart of this woman, it draws us to understand that any man, whether it be rich man or poor man or a beggar man, but probably not the thief, but rich man or poor man, any of us, we can serve God to the fullest. And God is blessed by our heart and by our attitude not by our influence, not by the amount of our finances, not even by the extent of our talents. God looks at our heart and he looks at our attitude. And beloved, that's the thing that I wanna drive home to you today. That it's the heart and the attitude of each one of us that God desires in us. Just a, just a, a notice here. God doesn't need your money, but he desires your heart. It is and it's always been a heart issue. When God sees us living our lives out in sacrificial service and in sacrificial giving to him and for his kingdom to the glory of Jesus Christ and not for the accolades of man, that's what pleases the Father. It's our privilege to take part in God's kingdom's work when we willingly sacrifice, we're the ones who benefit. When we give with an open heart, or as Paul says, when we are cheerful givers, we get to live out the experience of how God is truly the provider in all that we have and in all that we need. If I can sacrifice in my giving of time and in my finances, then I'm just declaring out loud, you know what, God's got this. I don't need to worry about it because God's got this. David Guzik also, he declares that the value of a gift is determined by what it cost the giver. King David said that I'll not give anything to the Lord that costs me nothing. So in other words, it's that understanding that what I give to the Lord, it needs to be from a point of sacrifice, not from abundance. If you have an abundance, the Lord allows you to give from that abundance, but even beyond that. That's what the word is, that's what the message is that, that Jesus is sharing with this widow woman. It's not the amount, it is the heart. I wanna close out with some words. I shared with our Wednesday night uh, uh, service a couple of weeks ago. We were speaking about this whole idea of systematically giving to the Lord through tithes and offerings. It was because we were going through 1 Corinthians and when we got to uh, that chapter 16, it spoke very clearly of it. It's not because I brilliantly laid these two messages together in order to hammer you with giving. No, I'm not that intelligent. It just happened to turn out that that message there in 1 Corinthians, this message in 
and Luke seem to coincide in this area. We are actually going to be going very soon through the book of 2 Corinthians on Wednesday night. So I'm not gonna go into a whole lot of detail, but I do wanna draw your attention to this. If you've got your Bibles with you, and hopefully you brought your Bibles, I'm gonna go very quickly through a couple of passages. Actually, we're gonna cover two chapters real quick in 2 Corinthians, <laughs> believe it or not, okay? Look with me in 2 Corinthians chapter eight. 2 Corinthians chapter eight. Again, Warren Wiersbe says, when it comes to our giving, God sees more than a portion. He sees the proportion. Man sees what's given, but God sees what's left. In 2 Corinthians chapter eight, what I want you to pay attention to is some words in there. I challenge the Wednesday night crew to take the time in your private devotions to look through chapters eight and nine, paying particular attention to these words. And I'm gonna rattle them off to you real quick, but take the time beyond this and look how Paul writes these things in the area of giving. He uses words such as abounded, liberality, beyond their ability, freely, willingly. He first gave themselves to the Lord, abound in everything, in all diligence, not by commandment, sincerity of your love, to your advantage, a willing mind, according to what you have, not what you do not have. Your abundance, their abundance, equality, this lavish gift, Prove diligent, in all things diligent, the proof of your love. And then in chapter nine, he uses such words and phrases as this. Your willingness, I boast of you, your zeal, your generous gift, a matter of generosity, not as a grudging obligation. So sparingly, you will reap sparingly. So bountifully, you will reap bountifully. Give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly, not of necessity. God loves a cheerful giver. God is able to make all grace abound towards you. You always, having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. He goes on to say, may he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food supply and multiply the seed you have sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness. You are in enriched in everything for all liberality, not only supplies the needs of the saints, but also is abounding through many thanksgivings to God. The obedience of your confession to the gospel of Christ and your liberal sharing with them and all men. Man, that's a lot of stuff he says in reference to giving. I always wanna ask our ushers, did you hear anybody laughing when we took the offering this morning? He loves a cheerful giver. Your giving, your gift to the Lord, our gift to the Lord, it shouldn't be a religious thing. It shouldn't be a forced thing. It needs to be a heart thing. It should be a giving out of relationship, not out of compulsion. It should be a point of devotion. Only through a true relationship with Christ can we have a pure devotion. And I go back to my first point. We're coming to a point, I believe, in this world where everything's going to be pushed and tested. Your devotion and your commitment to Christ above all things. We 
hope that today's edition of The Open Word has been a blessing to you. If you live in the Casa Grande, Arizona area, we want to invite you to join us for worship. The messages that you hear on The Open Word are produced from worship services at Calvary Chapel Casa Grande. Maybe the teaching you heard today is exactly what you're looking for in a church. Then please join us. We meet Saturday evenings and twice on Sunday morning, as well as throughout the week. For more information about when we meet for worship, including driving directions, log on to theopenword.com and then follow the link to the church website. Now here's Tracy with some more important information about how you can help support The Open Word. Radio programs like The Open Word are wonderful tools that God uses to advance His kingdom here on earth. And as with any ministry, there are expenses involved. Today's broadcast was professionally produced, and God has given us a vision to see The Open Word expand into other parts of the world. Would you prayerfully consider financially supporting The Open Word? Log on to TheOpenWord.com and simply click on the support option to help us continue to grow. Thanks, Tracy. From all of us here with the production team, we want to say thank you for tuning in, and may God richly bless you.